Well, good morning once again, everyone. Hope you're all doing well. Steve, you mind if you move this back just a few inches, yep. just so I don't bump into it? Thanks, Steve. Um, I want to start today by asking a uh, question that I'd love for you to, to answer in the chat here uh, beside us. And the, the question is, if you had $50,000, what would you do with it? Now, here's the only catch, okay? You're not allowed to give it away. You're not allowed to save it. Uh, what would you do with $50,000 if you weren't allowed to save it or give it away? I'd love to know your response here. And I'm going to put it in the chat just, just to get us going here. What would you do? What would you do with $50,000? Um, I'm going to put the money sign afterwards. Now, there's a delay, so you guys are going to... There's about a 20-second delay here, so you might see my question before I actually say it. But there you go. If you can type in, what would you do with $50,000, that would be helpful. I'll come back to that later on in the message. Also, I want to hear from uh, people of all ages, whether you're a senior or you're a child or you're somewhere in between. I'd love to know everyone's perspective. We'll come back to that. I also just want to give you a heads up at the end of the message here. We are going to partake in communion. So if you have some juice or crackers, we would encourage you to, to grab those at some point. Um, today we are jumping back into our series in John. We've been taking a break from that for a while. And uh, just want to remind you that John was written by John. Uh, John was a disciple of Jesus, and he, he walked with Jesus. He observed all the things that he taught. He witnessed all the miracles that Jesus did. And he saw that Jesus died on the cross. He witnessed his resurrection. And the purpose of him writing this gospel was so that we would read this gospel and that we would come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior, uh, the Son of God, whom we are to put our faith and trust in. That's his goal with writing everything that he writes. And um, uh, this particular, well, leading up to this, uh, where we're at today, I'll just give you a summary of, of where we've come so far in recent weeks or recent months with John. Uh, we recently talked about the passages where Jesus claimed to be God. We talked about the passages where Jesus claimed to be the good shepherd that leads us. We saw a passage recently where Jesus had healed a blind man who, has been, who was born blind from birth. And the last passage we jumped into was a passage where Jesus, his buddy Lazarus, had died and was, was dead for four days. His body was wrapped. It was placed in a tomb. And just by Jesus saying three words, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus walked out of the grave. He, he, Jesus raised him from the dead from being dead for four days. It would have been absolutely amazing to have been there and have witnessed that. And now John acknowledges later on in his gospel that he actually didn't record all of the miracles that Jesus uh, performed. He was handpicking the miracles that Jesus performed uh, for the purpose, again, of helping us to put our faith in Jesus and if someone could raise someone from the dead who had been dead for four days, I can't help but put my faith in him. The passage continues with, um, with people, obviously, putting their faith in Jesus. They come, they see Jesus, they see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And they say, man, if Jesus can raise him from the dead, I'm going to put my faith in him. And so they are trusting in him as the Savior and as the Messiah of the world. And you would think this would be good news for everybody, but it wasn't. The Jewish leaders, they were getting stressed out about this, about people flocking to Jesus because of, for a variety of reasons. But one of the reasons was that uh, during the time of, this, uh, of, 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 of John's gospel, of Jesus, when Jesus lived on earth, uh, the Jews were under the authority of Rome. Uh, Rome was the superpower, 
And um, the, Rome had a reputation for squashing rebel movements or, you know, Jew, Jewish people or any people of other nation for that matter. If, if, they, if there was a leader among them who was trying to stir up the, the people to fight back against the Rome, Rome would come in heavy-handed and they would take care of business, and, which might involve killing some people. And in their case, the Jews were thinking that, you know, people are flocking after Jesus as the Messiah. They might come in and start cleaning, cleaning a house and killing people. And not just that, but we might lose our positions of authority and the Roman government might put different people in authority. And so they just, they just said, you know what, for the sake of the Jewish people, uh, we need to kill this one man and so the Romans get off our backs. And so that's kind of where we pick up. I'm going to start reading um, uh, ch- uh, chapter 11, verse 57. And we're going to read the first uh, 11 verses of chapter 12. And um, here we go. John chapter 11, verse 57. But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. And so the religious leaders make it public. Hey, guys, we want to take Jesus out. I'm not sure if they would have said we want to kill him publicly, but they certainly publicly were saying we want to arrest him. Um, now, Jesus knew this, so he went to another location to keep himself safe for a while, and the Passover was, was coming up, and so people were wondering if Jesus was going to come back for the Passover, and he, and he did. Chapter 12, verse 1 says this. This is where you pick up. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Mary's, sorry, Martha served while while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Now, I I just want to pause here for a second. There's a lot of amazing things, statements in the book of John, particularly the statements and the claims that Jesus makes about himself. But for me, uh, this is one of the most meaningful statements in the entire gospel of John. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, the man whom Jesus just rose from the dead is hanging out at a dinner party. And I want to just pause here for a second. I want you to imagine that you were there at the dinner party. You were an invited guest. And I want you to imagine that you were sitting beside Lazarus. I mean, what kind of conversations would you be having with Lazarus? Uh, you know, a typical greeting that I like to ask people is, hey, what's new and exciting? And, you know, can you imagine sitting beside Lazarus and asking that question? Hey, Lazarus, Lazarus what's new and exciting in your life? You can imagine Lazarus making some small talk. Yeah, I planted a new... Yeah, yeah, you know, bush in my garden. Oh, yeah, I, I, got, I got new, um, new sandals. They're state-of-the-art sandals. You know, they got two straps instead of one or whatever. Oh, yeah, and, and by the way, I was dead some time ago. I was buried in a tomb. I was wrapped in linen. The, the, we had a big funeral for me, and this, this man over here, Jesus, yeah, he, he raised me from the dead after being dead for four days. Um, but other than that, uh, nothing else is new in my life, you know, <laughs> like, like, where would you go with that? What, what kind of conversations would you be having with Lazarus? And what, what kind of questions would you be asking? What would you ask him? What does it feel like being dead? Uh, would you ask him, what does it feel like to be raised from the dead? I have no idea where the conversation with, would go. I would just be so amazed. I also want you to imagine leading up to this dinner party that you were very close to the family. Like maybe you were either a fly on the wall or you were like their best friend and you were observing everything and watching everything they did. I imagine during that crisis when Lazarus had died, he had been been dead for such a long time that the family would have got a bill for, uh, for the funeral. 
you know, they would have had this checklist, you know, hey, hey, Martha, hey, Mary, did we, um, did we pay the funeral director for all his services? Yep, okay. Uh, did you receive the death certificate? Yes, I have the death certificate right here in my hands. Confirmed to be dead. All right, cool. Did you pay for the flowers? Yep. Did you pay for the professional mourners? Yep, we had the professional mourners. They came, they're gone, they got their paycheck. Okay, good. Um, did you pay for the spices and the linens? And we, did we pay for the plot, the tombstone, and all the rest? And you're going through the checklist, and, and everything's being paid for. You have extended family coming and visiting, and they're there, they're comforting. You have the community of people who are grieving the loss of Lazarus. You probably have Mary and Martha going to the market, bumping in to the funeral director, and the funeral director's offering his condolences to Mary and Martha while they shop for apples and, or groceries or whatever it is they're going to be shopping for. Uh, and now you're at this dinner party, sitting beside the very man who has a, an official death certificate, and we've already paid for his funeral, and yet he's back. <laughs> That's crazy. Jesus does amazing things. Well, let's, let's continue here in verse 3. I'll read the rest of the passage. Uh, 12, verse 3. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. So let me pause here. And this is why I asked the question, what would you do with $50,000? Because I just want to get us into the mindset of how much, like, like and the reason I say $50,000 is because that might be what the equivalent of, of a year's wage would be for maybe a Canadian. And the reason I ask you that question is, is I'm trying to help us understand how much $50,000 can buy us. So with, with that being said here, what were your answers? Let me just see. I think my, my screen is freezing here, but that's okay. Uh, wow, we got a lot of answers. Holy smokes. I got to find out where, where to start here. Um, Pixado family says, Bella says she would buy a house. Well, you can maybe you can use that for a down payment for a house. <laughs> Not a whole house in our community, at least. Uh, Paul says, how long do I have? Tim and Tamara, a house. Uh, someone else, MO4, says you would travel the world. That's cool, except... You know, if there was no COVID, maybe you could do that. Uh, down payment on, a, on an apartment. Thanks, Richard. A lot of people are saying houses. Gillis says have things for a lifetime. That's cool. Sutcliffe home. Gregory doesn't know what to do. I appreciate your honesty, Gregory. <laughs> Another down payment for a house. Sierra says a hedgehog. Colic family says, Jalen says buy a Pomeranian dog. No, many Pomeranians. That's right. And depending on how much dog costs, you might be able to get like 25 or 50 Pomeranians. Um, Stefan wants tons of Lego sets. I don't blame you. Legos are pretty darn cool. And uh, Stefan adds, oh yes, Legos and a cat. You would buy a cat with that. Others would sponsor a refugee family, a Paw Patrol tower. Jocelyn says, more down payments on homes. Gregory would put it in a church offering or start a church. That's very nice of you, Gregory. Uh, and Milana says, um, well, she's, no, she's not answering the questions. Uh, maybe if there's a host that could help her with that, something that she needs help with, that would be great. But yeah, you can buy, you can buy a lot of things with $50,000. And roughly in today's dollars, that's the amount of the perfume that um, Mary was pouring on Jesus' feet. It's a, it's a huge amount. Anyways, let's, let's carry on in verse 6. 
He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she, would say, she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus. Of course, if I was one of the Jews, I would want to see the, the man whom Jesus rose from the dead, whom he had raised from the dead. Verse 10, so the chief, sorry, so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So they were coming, they were seeing Jesus, they were, they were uh, seeing Lazarus, and they, had, they were potentially the same ones who had just been at his funeral, and now they're seeing that Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And they're saying, well, I can't help but put my faith in Jesus. So I want to contrast uh, two different characters in this story. And that is one, Mary and the other, Judas. Now, the interesting thing about Mary and Judas is that they both had a special relationship with Jesus. They had both walked with him in different capacities. Judas was a disciple of Jesus. He was kind of like John. He was there when, uh, with the rest of the disciples when Jesus was making all these claims about himself, when Jesus was performing all these miracles. Uh, Mary, uh, in a similar way, we know that she had a relationship with Jesus. We know from different passages that she would sit at Jesus' feet while he would teach uh, they had both witnessed the miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And yet they both had a very drastically different approach to their attitude towards Jesus. And particularly the, re the relationship between their money and their resources and how that should, uh, and how that should connect with Jesus. Um, so let me ask you this. This is a question I want to I ask us ourselves today. And the question is this. Do you use the master, Jesus, do you use the master to serve your money? Or do you use your money, the resources that God has given you, to serve the master? Do you use the master to serve your money, or do you use your money to serve the master? In Judas's case, I believe that Judas used the master, Jesus, to serve his money, to serve his own purposes. Where Mary was different in that she used her money to serve the master. So I want to talk a little bit more about these two characters. First, let's talk about Judas this morning. And there's a number of things I see in Judas's life that we have to be aware of and, and, um, and consider. Uh, first off, Jesus said that, uh, or not Jesus, uh, John said here in this passage that Judas was a thief. Um, Judas, it said here that he was a thief. He was a keeper of the money bag, and he would just, the money bag that was used to support the disciples and Jesus, and sometimes he would go into the money bag, and he would pull up money, and he would use it for himself, and he did that as a thief. We know later on that um, he was also selfish in that sense, in that uh, he was actually the one that handed Jesus over to the religious, religious leaders. He went to the religious, re religious leaders, and, and he said something along the lines, hey, if you guys, if you guys give me a little something, something, some money, I'll take you to Jesus, and I'll betray him, uh, to, uh, I'll betray him for you. And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And um, he was a thief. He was in it for himself. He used the master to serve his money. And, you know, this is, Judas isn't the only person who's done this in history. Um, Paul, the apostle Paul, when he was writing a letter to Pastor Timothy, he warned Timothy. 
He said, Pastor Timothy, you need to be aware that there are some people in the world who pretend to be godly. They pretend to be religious because their goal in pretending to be religious and godly is simply to get rich, to become wealthy. Now, this is very different from someone making a living. In that same letter, Paul told Pastor Timothy that you've got to make sure that those who are in ministry and are making a living from it, that you have to make sure you're paying them well. It's different from someone who's, who's pretending to be godly and religious for the sake of just becoming rich for their own reputation. There is a difference, but we have to be aware and we have to be discerning. Uh, just a couple of stories come to mind um, when I think of this thievery and selfishness. In my last church, I met someone in my community who um, told me that they wanted to volunteer at my church. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. They want to volunteer. And I, you know, we asked him some more questions. And he said, uh, yeah, I want to meet people. Well, what do you mean you want to meet people? Well, I want to meet old people. Well, what do you mean you want to meet old people? Well, eventually I found out that he was in insurance. And the only reason why he wanted to volunteer in church was so that he could sell insurance to the old people in the church. Well, that was obviously a problem. <laughs> you have to ask someone, you have to ask yourself, ask other people's motives. What, why are you really here? Uh, in, in that person's case, he was wanting to volunteer at church not to serve the Lord, not out of love for the Lord, but somehow to build his clientele. Uh, I, I, hear, I heard of another story in a community I used to work in, not a church that I was associated with, but a, another church down the street. Uh, I guess someone that was involved in doing the bookkeeping of the church had embezzled, had stolen, uh, I think, a quarter million dollars over the course of about 10 or more years uh, from the, the church's offerings. Uh, pretty sad. Uh, in another category, I think sometimes of well-known Christian leaders who uh, maybe might publish a book on a topic that they know is very controversial, and maybe they're taking a... Uh, a position that the church has historically deemed as heretical. And I, I question the motives sometimes of how, why some Christian leaders, Christian leaders might do that. Are they doing it to build up the church or are they doing it because they know it's a controversial topic that will lead people to buy their books and in the end make them a profit? There's a very specific book that I'm thinking about that came out 10 or 15 years ago that I wanted nothing to do with because... Um, I, I sense this was the case in this person, but I don't know. I'm not the judge. In another category, um, you don't have to have the gift of discernment to realize that sometimes there are likely some politicians throughout history that will use the name of Jesus if they know it's going to get them more votes. And whether it's a country, a state, a province, or a community, uh, why do people do that? If, hey, if saying the name of Jesus benefits me, if, if associating with Jesus benefits me, I'm in. And if it doesn't benefit me, I'm going to distance myself from Jesus. So the question is, you know, when it comes to ministry or life or whatever you're doing with, in, in your relationship with God and life, is, is it about giving or is it about getting? Is following Jesus about supporting him and serving him and loving him or is it about, oh, I'm going to believe in Jesus because somehow it's going to benefit me in my pocketbook. And maybe I'm going to win some power or win some influence or gain a better reputation because of my uh, association with Jesus. In Judas's case, he was all about getting. What can I, what can I, what can I get from Jesus here? Uh, what else do we see here in Judas? Number three, we see that Judas was very critical. Mary had gone out of her way. She just felt led to just do this lavish thing for Jesus. We're going to talk about her in a second. And Judas wasn't warmed by that. He wasn't moved by that. He didn't accept it. It was 
critical and judgmental. He said something along the lines, what did he say here? He said, he, he said couldn't, couldn't, you, couldn't you have sold the perfume and given money to the poor? He's being critical of her. And that, that can happen. You know, a story came to mind as I was thinking about this. And um, there's a story in the Old Testament, uh, King Solomon. We've talked about him quite a bit in recent weeks and months. And King Solomon felt led by the Lord. Well, actually, his father as well, David, felt led by the Lord to build a temple for God. And this temple was very special. This is something they wanted to do to honor him. This is a temple that took seven years to build. It took hundreds of thousands of people to, 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 to work on. And this temple was not built, of, built with drywall and two-by-fours. No, it was, it, was, it was decked out with gold and silver and bronze and high-quality uh, cedar. It's estimated that in today's dollars, this temple that Solomon had built for the Lord was valued in today's dollars at approximately half a billion dollars, $500 million. When they had brought the ark to the temple, they had slaughtered so many cattle and, and, uh, and sheep that they, they couldn't count. They couldn't keep track of how many uh, animals they were sacrificing to the Lord. Later on, when they dedicated the temple, they counted this time, and they counted 22,000 cattle, which would have been an awesome rib fest, uh, uh, and also 120,000 sheep and goats. Can you imagine the amount of, of food and meat that they were sacrificing, or the animals that they were sacrificing to the Lord? And here's why I bring this up. Now, Scripture doesn't say that people were critical of Solomon, and if, if they did, that would have been dangerous in those times. But I can only imagine that there were people like Judas behind the scenes saying, ah, oh, why did Solomon have to spend so much money on that? Why couldn't he have given it to the poor? Uh, why couldn't he have given it to the missionaries? Why couldn't he have done A, B, C, D, E, F, G? Ah, I'm going to be Mr. Critical and judge him for what he's doing here. But you know what? God wasn't judging Solomon. In fact, he blessed Solomon and the Israelites because they just displayed this lavish display of generosity towards God, and God appreciated that. Um, you know, in a similar way in our day, you know, just uh, a few years ago, we had, uh, a couple of years ago, whatever it was, we had a, a church down the street that went through an expensive um, uh, building renovation program. Um, I remember when I was uh, a, a younger guy, I visited a, a church in New York uh, City and uh, walked into this beautiful, ornate sanctuary um, it looked like just a high quality like theater setting and the bathrooms were like marble. Um, I remember my last church I was in, we were also going through a building program, a renovation program, and people were questioning whether we should be doing it or not. And there's nothing wrong with questioning and being responsible and being discerning and seeing if we're a good steward. Um, uh, but I remember at that AGM, at that last church I was at, one person got up and said something along these lines. You know, what? why are we spending all this money in a church building when we should be giving it to the poor. And um, the pastor's response was so simple, but so right on. He said something like this. Listen, it's not either or, it's both and. In other words, we're not, um, we're not building a building and excluding the poor among us or excluding the missionaries or excluding those, the needs of the community among us. Uh, this is something we're led to do and we're going to do it. And we're going to do everything. We're going to give to the missionaries, the poor. We're going to care for people in our community. Let's do it all. And so what, what I'm trying to say here is um, 
is if someone, I believe if someone is moved by the Lord to do something lavish and generous for him, whatever it is, don't judge. Don't be like Judas. Don't be critical. Man, if you want to sell your possessions and, and build a building that honors the Lord, go ahead and do that. By the way, this point has nothing to do with building buildings, but if, if you want to sell your possessions and give it to the church to build a building, then go ahead and do that. If that's what's going to honor the Lord and that's what God's put on your heart. If God wants you to sell your possession and give, the, give it to the missionaries to, to send them around the world, God bless you. No one should be judging you. Uh, neither should you be judging anyone else. If you want to sell your possessions and give it to the poor, go ahead. Uh, no one should be judging you. Go ahead and do that if that's what you feel the Lord telling you to do to honor him. If you want to sell your possessions and give it to the church so the church can, do, can, can put on more ministries, go nuts. If you want to bless the, the less fortunate in your community, go for it. And no one should be judging you if that's the way that God has put on your heart to honor him. Let's not be people who are known to be critical of those who are trying to honor others with the resources that we have. So don't be like Judas in that category. Uh, another thing that I see here in Judas's life with his critical spirit, I almost kind of think like he's making, he's trying to come up with a, like a logical excuse why he shouldn't give. And, you know, I just kind of wonder sometimes if, if those who are the most vocal and the most critical are the, most, um, are, the, are the least generous. And I don't know the answer to that. Only God knows. But that's just what I wonder. Anyways, Judas was a guy who saw the master, he saw Jesus, and he was constantly thinking of ways of how can I benefit myself with Jesus? How can I use Jesus to serve my money. You might ask yourself, if Jesus knew everything, and if he knew that Judas struggled with money, why did Jesus put Judas in charge of the finances? And I like to kind of put this in more in a positive way. Uh, I, I think Jesus was testing Judas. He was giving him an opportunity to do the right thing, and he failed. And you know what? In a similar way, God has given us resources to manage, and in a similar way, God is testing us. What are we going to do with the resources that God has given us? Are we going to hoard it to ourselves? Or are we going to use it to bless others and bless the Lord? Okay, let's talk about Mary. She's uh, the type of person that we need to strive to be like. Mary was different than Judas in that she used her resources to serve the master. Now, Mary was... She was all in in her relationship with Jesus. This wasn't just about money. She was all in. She was wrecked for Jesus. Uh, we know that she sat at the feet of Jesus when he taught, and she just gobbled up everything that he said. We know that, of course, uh, Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. And by the way, Lazarus was Mary's brother, if you haven't caught that, if you don't know that. And so she's just blown away, man. Uh, she, she believed in him. She was already following him. And after her witnessing that Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead, she figured, you know what? There's really nothing else in the world that I can trust. There's no one, there's, there's nothing, and there's no one else in the world who's worthy of my trust more than Jesus. If I'm going to gamble, if I'm going to put everything on the line, uh, it is a good decision to put everything on the line for Jesus. I'm all in. And this act of love where she poured this perfume over his feet and wiped her hair on his, on his feet, um, it's almost like she's saying, I'm not sure if she's being, if this is a conscious thing or an unconscious thing, but she's, it's almost like she's going into Jesus and she's not following him in, in secret. It's like she's telling the world, listen world, hey Pharisees and religious leaders, I know you want to arrest him, 
I'm, I'm associated with him. And if you're wondering, if you're wondering uh, whether I love him or not, just look, uh, watch me wash his hair, wash his feet with my hair. I'm all in. I'm committed. I'm with him, regardless of the consequences. And uh, I imagine she would have been doing this in front of a large group of people. We don't know for sure, but she wasn't afraid to be associated with him. But let's come back and talk about her gift. There's three things that I want to highlight that made her gift so special. And the first thing was that she was generous. Her gift was generous. You know, I've done some messages before where I've talked about tithing and giving, and there are some guidelines when it comes to tithing and giving that we should follow when it comes to giving to the Lord. Um, But Mary's gift, it, it wasn't, she wasn't following a formula here. If she was following a formula, she could have gone in to grab the bottle of perfume. She could have thoughtfully said, okay, this perfume costs about $50,000. I'm going to go bring it to the market. I'm going to go sell it for fifty k, And I'm going to put $5,000 into a cute little white envelope. And I'm going to tuck it quietly in Jesus' pocket when he shows up for dinner. And he'll be so pleased with me. And maybe he would have been. But Mary says, you know what? Forget about it. Throw the formula out the window. I'm just giving it all to him. I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude with, for who Jesus is and what he's done. I'm just going to give it to him, give it all to him. And you know, that kind of thing happens when you have a genuine encounter with Jesus. There's another story in the Gospels where Jesus meets up with a man named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. And, um, and uh, when he had this genuine encounter with Jesus, he told Jesus, I'm going to sell half of my possessions and give it to the poor. And if I've ripped anyone off, which probably was a lot because uh, tax collectors were known to be cheats and frauds in their day. If I've ripped anyone off, if I cheated anyone, I'm going to pay them back four times the amount. And Jesus was just so pleased with that. A genuine encounter with Jesus resulted in Zacchaeus just being overwhelmingly generous in his response. If you look in the book of Acts, when people came to faith in Jesus, uh, they weren't giving uh, little bits and pieces of their their wealth. Some people were selling 100% of everything they had, and they just gave it to the church. They wanted to bless the Lord. They wanted to bless their their brothers and sisters in Christ, and they gave it all. When Christ takes root in your heart, something happens. And uh, for many of us, it causes us to be overwhelmingly generous in our response to him. You know, so many years ago, I, I did preach a message on tithing and giving, and we had, I had someone call me and, um, who I think has the gift of generosity, and it was, a, it was a very pleasant conversation. It was a fun conversation. And the person was asking me, hey, hey Ryan, how, how much of the profits of my business should I give to the church or give to the Lord? And I don't think I was really helpful <laughs> because I just kept on being vague. I kept on saying, oh, just give whatever you want. And he kept on kind of pressing me and saying, well, what, what is that number? What should I be giving? And I said, I don't know, whatever you want to give. And he kept on asking, what, what, what do you, what, what's the number? What do I do? And I kept on saying, I don't know, give whatever you want. <laughs> and uh, yes, there are some guidelines we could talk about. There are some formulas. But I just want to say this. Don't, don't limit your giving to God to a formula. Um, don't put God in a box. Uh, Christ has been so generous with us, we need to be generous with him as well in our giving. Next, uh, the other thing about uh, Mary's gift was that it was voluntarily, voluntary. Well, at least I get the sense it was voluntary. I get the sense from the story that no one came to Mary and said, hey, Mary, you should really be giving that perfume to Jesus. I get the sense Jesus didn't knock on Mary's door one day and said, hey, Mary, one day I'd like, to, I'd like you to pour that perfume over my feet. 
I get the sense that this was not done under coercion. No one asked her to do it. She just did it, and it was voluntary. Now, our giving, yes, is an act of obedience. Uh, God wants us to give. He expects it. But at the same time, he wants it to be voluntary in the sense that we're not doing it because we're feeling guilted into it, that we are being coerced into it. Um, it should be something that we want to do from, from just from the depths of our hearts. And, and, and Mary's gift seemed to be voluntary. And, and number three, her gift was sacrificial. We've already talked about how this was a year's wage, which may have been worth $50,000 in today's dollars. And I don't know how rich or poor that Mary was, but um, it's, it's very possible that this perfume was a form of financial security for her. Some have suggested that this perfume could have also acted as like a dowry uh, for her if she wanted to get married or whatever. So it could have been a, a significant um, um, thing that was for her future financial security, possibly. Uh, whether she was rich or poor, it was still very sacrificial. Her gift was sacrificial to the Lord. But again, this wasn't all just about money. Her act of kindness and love towards the Lord was heartfelt. It was one of love. Uh, just the act of washing his feet with her hair was an act of humility and devotion. And, you know, um, Mary, I think, had the heart of David here. She, was, she had the heart of David. She, she did not worry about what, what other people thought of her. She was more concerned about what God thought of her. She was more concerned about pleasing God than pleasing those around her. And she wasn't afraid to enthusiastically display her love for the Lord, even when people were going to judge her. And uh, she's, she's amazing. And so where Judas was the kind of person who uh, used the master to serve his money, Mary was the kind of person who used her money to serve uh, the master. And so I want to challenge you today to be like Mary. Be someone who is generous towards the Lord. Give with a heart full of willingness and in a voluntary, willing way. Uh, consider ways that you can be sacrificial for the Lord. I just, I just want to, as we are about to take communion, I just want to just close by just making a few comments here. I, I think, number one, I, I think your giving, our giving, or even lack of giving, in part, is a direct reflection of the value that we place on Christ. Let me say that again. I think our giving, or lack of giving, in part, is a direct reflection of the value we place in Christ. Now, to every person, that looks a little bit different, or a lot different in some cases. But if we are being cheap with Jesus, we're essentially telling him, you're not really worth it. And if we're being lavish and generous with Jesus, as Mary was, we're telling Jesus, you are worth it, and I love you. Now, let me just maybe say this in a different way. You know, over the years, the Lord has challenged me in my giving and my wife's giving over the years. And uh, I'm at a point now where I'm probably giving the highest dollar amount I've ever given. Well, it's not probably, I am. And um, not only that, but the percentage of what I'm giving has gone up. And not only that, but the Lord has been working in my attitude, in my heart, to be a little more liberal with extra things. And I still haven't arrived. I'm not saying that to brag. Um, and the reality is I actually feel bad about what I give. And here's why. And not, not guilty, but I feel bad because I know that no matter, no matter what I give, no matter high how the number is, I know that whatever I give could never come close to, to how 
just, just to, I can never come close to representing how beautiful and how amazing Jesus is to me. It can never come close to the generosity that Jesus has shown me. Uh, to, 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 use, to say in different words, the, the best that I could ever give God is like an ant giving a grain of sand to a thousand skyscrapers that are made of pure diamonds. It's nothing. The best of what I could give God is nothing. I, I'll never be satisfied or impressed with what I give because it's nothing compared to the love and the, and the grace that God has shown me yet. But yet I try. I try to simply say, Jesus, I love you. Oftentimes when I give something or give something extra, I just say, Lord, use this for your kingdom. I love you. Bless this money to use to bless this ministry or that ministry or that person or whatever. Use it for your glory. I know it's not much, but uh, I, I just want to express my love to you. And um, it's important to do. So as we close here, uh, at some point today, I want you to check your heart. Maybe even in, the, in this moment, check your heart. Where's your heart at with the Lord? Uh, first of all, do, have you come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as the only one who's really worth putting our trust in? And go a little further. Go the next step and ask yourself, since we're talking about money and resources, does your giving reflect what you claim with your mouth? If Jesus is the only one who's worth putting our trust in, if he truly is worth following and believing in him, if he truly is the Messiah, the Son of God, then our money and our resources should, have, should reflect that. People should be able to look at your resources and see that, you know, based on what you're giving um, and, and, and how you're using your resources, and it looks different for every one of us, it should reflect the fact that you have faith in Jesus and that you love him. What does it look like for you? Let's jump into a time of communion now. And uh, communion is a special time where we uh, remember what Jesus has done for us. We remember that he died on the cross for our sins, that he shed his blood uh, so that our sins could be forgiven. And uh, the communion table reminds us why Jesus is so worthy. And you know, uh, I talked about Mary's gift being generous and voluntary and sacrificial, but in the same way, God's gift to us was generous, voluntary, and sacrificial as well. It was sacrificial in the sense that, that God the Father sent his perfect son to leave heaven. Um, he came to earth. And he didn't just come and pet sheep and, you know, run through beautiful green meadows and whatever else. No, he, he came and he, ha- he got nails driven through his hands and his feet. He had a crown of thorns that were gouged into his head. He was whipped for us. He was beaten for us. He was spat upon and he was perfect. He didn't sin. He didn't deserve that. Yet he did that because he, he, he loved us and it was a sacrificial gift that he gave us. Also, it was, uh, number two, it was voluntary. Yes, this was the Father's plan and Jesus makes it clear that he was being obedient when he agreed to the Father's plan. But at the same time, Jesus makes it clear that he did this voluntarily. He did this of his own will. He, he had the freedom to choose what he liked, and he chose to obey the Father. And he laid down his life willingly for you and for me. And it was also generous. You know, the gospel story doesn't end with Jesus dying on the cross. That's not where the story ends. He, he, he died on the cross for our sins so that we can be reconciled to God, but he rose again from the grave to prove that he had conquered sin and death. And, and that those who put their faith in Jesus 
are able to spend an eternity with God forever. And not only that, but we get to share in all of Christ's riches for all of eternity. Another amazing truth in scripture says, and, and I had to like double, triple, quadruple check this when I read this for the first time, because it still doesn't make sense to me. But it says that we are joint heirs with Christ in scripture, which means that God shares all of his riches with us in the most generous way. So he doesn't just share his riches, but he shares himself. Uh, the gospel story is a story of generosity, lavish generosity and grace, more than we could ever even think think of deserving. There's, there's no way we can work for that. There's no way we can earn it. But he's been so generous with us. And so uh, communion is a time for those who have come to the place in their life where, they, where they've come to faith in Jesus. They trusted in him as the Messiah and the, as the Son of God. And they believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and rose again from the grave. And if you've come to that place, we would invite you to participate in communion today. And, and we're also called to examine ourselves before we participate in communion. So I just want to encourage you right now just to take a few moments and ask God to examine your heart. Ask him to point out anything in your heart or your mind that's, that's not right or anything in your life that's not right that you need to repent of. And perhaps you can even think about some of the things we've been talking about today. Do we use our resources to honor God or do we use Jesus to, for our own purposes? And, and just ask God if there's anything else in your heart that God, you need to make, anything, that you need to make right with the Lord uh, today. So let's take a moment of silence and do that right now. Lord, we thank you for sending your son in a sacrificial way. You sent your son Jesus to take our place on the cross. Lord, we thank you for setting us free from our sins so that we can live our lives for you. We thank you and we praise you for your love and for your forgiveness. We, we thank you that we can have the hope of eternal life and that we can look forward to your return. If you have the um, bread or cracker, I'm going to read this passage and we'll partake together. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. In a similar way, Lord, we thank you for shedding your blood on the cross so that our sins can be forgiven and that we can be reconciled to you, God. We thank you for the suffering you had to endure on our behalf. And so if you have your juice or whatever you have to represent the, the blood of Christ, let me read this. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake together. <laughs> 